0: Welcome to the QP Diaries podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring and empowering the next generation of QP professionals and future quality assurance leaders in the UK pharmaceutical industry. On every episode, I'll be speaking to QPs from across the industry and our listeners will have the opportunity to hear their stories, their expertise, and we'll be discussing topics to foster growth and learning to help you develop your career as a qualified person. If you're passionate about quality assurance and want to learn from some of the very best QPs and thought leaders from across the industry, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Dal the founder of Bio, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Phil, welcome to the QP Diaries podcast. How are you today?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks for asking me to do this.
0: No, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest. It's, It's a pleasure to have you on the show and... I think our conversation today is going to be very much tailored towards trainee QPs.
1: That's right, yeah. So I say I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I thought this would be a good topic to do, so no, it should be good.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, every legal QP has gone through a Viva process and it isn't easy. So today we're going to actually hear about your personal experience um, of failing the Viva uh, the first time and how you overcame that. Uh, but before we get into that, um, for those who may not know you, can you share a brief over your career journey as a, a quality assurance professional and then uh, as, as a QP professional as well, please?
1: Yeah, no problem. So I started, my first job was in the lab as a shift scientist, it was called, um, for a company called RP Shearers. So this allowed me to work both in chemistry and in micro, which was you know, a really interesting opportunity at the time. I got some good experience here. And then I moved on to a more traditional QA role at Pathion. Um So at Patheon, I had a great boss, one of those bosses who you remember for the rest of your career. And they she gave me the opportunity to train as a QP. So I did most of my training with DBA, who then became NSF, um, whilst I was at Pathion. Um Later on, I moved on from Patheon when they were having redundancies and briefly headed up the quality department at Ecolab in Wales before moving on to BTG, where I was actually named on their licenses as a QP. BTG, for those of you who don't know, have some really interesting products, um, one of which is a rattlesnake antivenom product. And this gave me my first insight into sort of working with biologics. Um, And while I was there though, at this point in my career, the MHRA were advertising for inspectors. And I'd been involved in a lot of inspections up until that time and thought, you know, being an inspector looked really interesting, but I found it quite daunting. I thought the inspectors that I'd met, their knowledge just seemed really, really quite in-depth. And I wondered if I had that level of knowledge. But I applied anyway, and after quite a long and intensive recruitment process, was actually offered a role as a GMDP inspector, which was brilliant. Truly. Fantastic role, absolute privilege. Um, you know, I was working with, at the time, a really world class team at the agency. And again, I was very lucky, again, to have a really good boss, incredibly supportive, incredibly encouraging, um, gave me some really amazing opportunities. So I became accredited in non sterols, sterols, specials, ATMPs, and then biologics. And I was promoted a couple of times and ended up. Leading the technical team for the steriles group for a period of time and then the steroids, and then the biologics team. Um, and then towards the end, I was part of the vaccine task force when the pandemic kicked off, which again was incredibly challenging and rewarding at the same time. But then unfortunately, the MHRA decided that it needed to reduce its workforce. So in 2022, I decided I'll try something new um, and moved into consultancy. And I was lucky enough to be offered a position at NSF originally. So who I'd done my QP training with, but then last year decided I was going to set up my own consultancy firm. And now I'm not only involved in the the true consultancy side, I also do training and mentoring the next generation of QPs. So I'm currently tutoring six trainee QPs and also teach on the NSF Steriles course. That's pretty much my background.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Thank thank you for sharing that. You've you've had an interesting career. Uh, How long were you with the MHRA?
1: So eight and a half years in total. Um, Yeah, I say it was absolutely brilliant time. Um, Travelling lots, but just a privilege to be able to go into all of these companies and ask whatever you want. Open whichever door you want, which not many people get to do. Um, So, yeah, absolutely great job. If anybody gets the opportunity, I'd definitely recommend it as a
0: group. Yeah, I'm sure a very, very fascinating, fascinating time in your career as a, as a quality professional as well. Though um, being able to apply that as, a, as an inspector,
1: that's it. Yeah, so you know all of it's just added lots of good background, both you know from the lab, working as a trainee QP, as a QP, then as an inspector. All of it gives you a really good background to then you know just more experience, more things that you've seen. Different people that you've met, different processes shows you there's not just one way of doing things. There's lots of different ways that we can do things to still get to the right answer at the end. Um, and also some of those difficult bits. I'll talk a bit more about it later on. But you know, when, when I worked in industry, I received or my department received a critical observation from the MHRA. That's one of the hardest things that you can go through. And then as an inspector, actually doing that. I remember the first time I said to a company, you know, this is a critical observation knowing that the company I'd worked at that we'd shut a line down as a result and people had lost their jobs so yeah huge impact that you can have but ultimately you're doing it to protect the patients and make sure that the products that are being made are of a suitable standard in quality and that's the same thing that I've been doing as a quality professional all the way through my career and continue to do yeah
0: yeah well, what initially sparked your interest in, in quality uh, you mentioned that It was your boss at the time at Paytheon. Is is that when your journey started to become a QP in particular as well?
1: So that was when I started actually training as a QP, but the person who inspired me to be a QP was actually at RP Shearer's. So I used to work for a a QP there. Um, Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but at that early stage I worked with him and he showed me what an interesting role being a QP could be. Um, And, you know, he had seemed to be involved in lots of different things from going down into production and speaking to the operators about things that were happening right through to speaking to the senior leadership team. And I always thought this looks like a really interesting role. Um, and it was key to make sure that, you know, their products they were making, they were being made safely, being made effectively. And I thought this looks good. So that sort of sparked my interest in QA and becoming a QP eventually. But I think naturally I'm also quite inquisitive. So I I like asking lots of questions about what's happening here. And I think as a quality professional, that's key as well. If you want to be successful in that role, you need to keep asking questions um, and understanding things. So I think that's also helped me throughout my career. Yeah. So you've had a lot of curiosity throughout your career. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And continue to. I was at a site last week and helping them and just kept, you know, they're having a few issues and I was Mentoring their team and just saying, yeah, keep asking questions. If you don't ask questions, you won't identify the issues like we're finding. And then they'll just blindside you. Um So, yeah, you've got to just keep asking, why is that doing that? Why is that not doing that? And just understand what's going on. Yeah. Okay.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And uh bringing us on to our sort of first sort of topic uh, that we're going to discuss today is that uh, you, you mentioned it in the introduction that not everyone is going to pass their Viber uh, first time and yep. it's an experience that you went through as a tr- as a trainee uh but of course it's not the end of the road to yep. becoming a qp so it doesn't mean it's actually a failure uh it just means that a human so yep. to to get started then uh i suppose going back to all those years ago when you were going through your own training uh what what were the sort of main common challenges that you were facing uh in, in the training in the modules uh, to,
1: to become a qp okay so There were both company challenges and personal challenges at the time. From a company point of view, you know, I was working in contract manufacturing. So getting involved in issues wasn't really an issue. There were lots of issues day to day, but then having the time to look at the systems and time to look at the processes was more of a challenge. For those of you, you know, working contract manufacturing, it's always pretty hectic. Finding time for other aspects of the business is, is always a challenge. But then from a personal point of view, you know, I started my QP journey when I was quite young. I was in my 20s when I started training to be a QP. And at the time, it seemed like I was incredibly young. I know there's more people going through in that sort of age bracket now, but I was definitely the youngest person on, on the courses at the time. And I made some good friends on the course. Some people I look, really looked up to and respected to and I'm still in touch with now. But they seem to, again, know a lot more than I did. They had more experience in the industry than I did. And I really struggled with confidence. Um, so, overcoming that was a real challenge that I needed to work on for quite a long period of time through my career. Yeah.
0: So, es- essentially, it was just confidence at that time, um, knowing your peers around you, uh, maybe showcasing more levels of expertise. Uh, That's
1: it. And I think, you know, I was questioning. This is a big responsibility, a big investment from the company to put me on this QP course. And could I actually do it? Was I the right person to be able to do it? What had they seen in me that they thought I could do it? And was I really just wasting their time? So I I had that struggle while I was doing the course.
0: Yeah. What were the strategies then that you used to,
1: uh, I suppose, overcome uh, that, that lack of confidence at the time? So I don't think I really overcame it at the time but what I tried to do was compensate for it. So I really put my head into the books, studied incredibly hard, learning technically inside and out all of the different technologies, the different um manufacturing processes so that on that side of things you know I, I was incredibly good. Um to try and prove to myself that I knew it inside and out. That was the way that I dealt with that. Yeah. And then heading towards your first Viva,
0: can yep. can, you share, can you share your experience of that, please?
1: Yeah, that's it. So I sat my first Viva when I was at Paytheon. And like I said, I've worked incredibly hard. I was compensating for my technic- with technical knowledge for the other areas. So I thought I need to prove it. So, but the Viva came at a less than perfect time. Patheon had just announced redundancies. My wife was pregnant. And we both worked at Paytheon at the time, so we're both potentially affected by those redundancies. And so I saw passing the Viber is the only way really to keep my career going. I put immense pressure on myself to get through it. I went into the Viber, answered all of the questions, but in the scenarios I struggled. I knew I hadn't done as well as I hoped, but I was still hoping for ultimately a pass. And then I sat there. And after the way I was told I was unsuccessful. I can still remember that moment and the feeling. And the moment the world just seemed to absolutely collapse around me, I sat in the park outside the RSC and lots of thoughts flying around in my head. You know, how was I going to tell my wife? How was I going to go back to the office where they'd been saying, you know, you'll be brilliant for months? Every time I said I had doubts, they'd be going, you'll be brilliant, you'll be a brilliant QP. And tell them I'd failed after all that money that they'd put towards the training. And then also, If I was made redundant and my wife was made redundant, how are we going to pay the mortgage? All of that was going through my head. And it was, you know, one of the lowest points in my career, probably one of the lowest points in my life. There were a lot of quiet spells and a lot of tears that came following that. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of factors around you in in
0: life, which I suppose piled, piled up. And added additional pressure onto uh,
1: the, the actual Viva process, which, which you weren't expecting, you weren't prepared for, really. No, that's it. And I think, you know, some of the people that I work with now as a mentor for their QP journey, maybe not quite the same. But you know, there was somebody I was speaking to just last week. We were just having a catch up and she's coming to the end of her training and feeling immense pressure to perform. And again, she's quite a young person, but got good experience, makes good decisions. And it's really just the confidence that's going to hold her back if she gets to that point. And so, again, we just went through, right, what happens and what happens if it goes wrong? It's not the end of it. You know, it, you can pick yourself up and do it again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in particular, then from from that first experience, what, what did you learn the most? So I think it's that the first one is you have to and you can pick yourself up but also that it, it wasn't the end of my career. Um, what helped me the most was the great support network. And I think I'd recommend to anybody as a QP generally, have that support network. My wife was fantastic, as were many people back at the office. Mike Halliday at DBA, as it was at the time also, he was a huge help. Um, we sat down a few weeks later, talked through what had happened, and we just, you know, talked about it. I learned that although it was a massive knockback, Nothing really changed. I was still me, still the person who, you know, had been chosen to go on this QB journey and still had that opportunity. It hadn't completely shut the door. There were still many more opportunities down the road. And I just needed to pick myself up from it and move on.
0: Yeah, so you, you, you were using the people around you then, in, in particular your mentors and people within the organisation, your wife, so family members to I suppose pick pick you back up and uh, react
1: and put the plan back in place. That's it, exactly. So yeah, use use the people that you've got around you, you know, take some time out. It's going if you do if you're in that unfortunate position, the failing your will be an unsuccessful in your driver. It's gonna hit you hard. You've worked on that for a couple of years at least. Um, your company's put a lot of investment into it. There will be pressure to get through it. And so it's natural that you're gonna feel, like I did, devastated at the time that's not worked through. But it's not the end of the world. You will get through it and you can move on from it. Yeah. I know other people who have never taken it again, and I think, you know, I wish I wish I could encourage them to do it, because I know they'd make good QPs. Um but again it's it's a personal decision if you do decide to do it again i was quite key, keen once i would thought about it actually I, yeah i do want to do this again and have another go at it yeah yeah so you you've seen people then in in your experience who have decided not to continue on that's it yeah there's a few people i know um who have you know not been successful the first time around and then for whatever reason they've thought yeah i'm not going to do it again now they might not have been Become QPs, but they've still become very successful quality professionals. They've still done all of that training that a QP's done. It's just that last piece that they've not fulfilled. So I think even if you do go down that route and you decide, yeah, I'm not going to do the Viva again. Didn't like it the first time. You can still be very successful. I know people who are now very successful when big global companies. Still failed their Viva the first time, but it hasn't held them back. Yeah, yeah. So m- most of these individuals
0: still have a very successful career either going to quality leadership or whatever it may
1: be. Absolutely, yeah. It's still I say it still gives you, you know, it's still really good training, gives you that mindset. It's just that hour. That's all it is that you've just not done as well as you could have done on. Yeah. And you've not come out the other side with that one bag saying, Yeah, I've passed my Bible. but you've done all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then to to get to the point where you were prepared and confident again to go for the second vibe. How long did that take?
1: So I took about six months off from studying, first of all, and then I had a tie-in period at Patheon, which I worked through, um, which coincided with me getting a new job as the redundancies were still going on. Then moved to Ecolab and then on to BTG. So probably about 18 months in total from the first failure through to actually um sitting my second one again. Yeah. Um And yeah, so, you know, I had help from my family, Mike at DBA, my sponsor at Patheon stayed with me even after we'd left Patheon. And then I got a new sponsor at BTG, and I put a plan together. Only now, again, different challenges. Now I had a young baby in the house, um, which made studying more of a challenge. Um, And I found the only time that I could actually study, really, was about four in the morning, six in the morning, something like that. I actually loved this time. I found it really peaceful, quiet. I could focus um, and get some, you know, maybe not as much study as I was doing before, but just get some quiet time, start of the day before I went in and did my day job. Yeah. Um, And then I went for my Viver again while I was at BTG. And this time, quite a different mindset. I hadn't studied as hard, but I was definitely more confident. The pressure I'd put on myself wasn't quite there as much. I told myself, you know, fine, I'm gonna do it one more time, that's it. I'm not gonna do it again if I'm not successful this time. One more crack, it doesn't matter really what happens this time. Um, If I passed, great, if I didn't, it's not the end of the world. And then in the actual viva, I came across more confidently. I even gently told one of the assessors that they were wrong with one of the challenges they put to me. Again, I'd, I'd go carefully, with people looking to do that. But again, you know, I did it in a gentle way, just told them, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. And at the end, I sat for what seemed like hours in an incredibly hot room. I remember it was hugely hot for the Pharmaceutical Society and was then told I was successful this time. And so rather than going and sitting in the park outside this time, I walked across to the pub and had a couple of pints to celebrate that time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they tasted very nice. that's it i'd also met and became friends with one of the assessors later on so when i was at the mhra i announced i was inspecting a site to maybe an hour later i got a phone call through from their head of quality and they said right i've seen you're coming to inspect us just to let you know i was one of your assessors at viber i said right okay fine and the good one or the bad one and he goes oh the good one and i said right that's fine we're good then and we carried on and we're now actually, you know, we've since stayed in touch. He's now also a consultant and yeah, yeah we're friends now. That's good. Excellent.
0: Yeah. So a very rewarding uh,
1: second Viver
0: experience. That's it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, he just shows that even with challenging circumstances, I think you can do it. And I think to me, the key bit was, yeah, I didn't know as much. There were times in the Viber when I had to say, I don't know, but I, I know where to find that. Um, these are what, this is what I do to find out the answer. These are the people I'd speak to about it. Whereas before, technically I knew all the answers this time. Yeah. Just much more relaxed, much more confident in the viva, maybe not as technically as as good, but yeah, came out of it with a more successful outcome. And I think that's part of what they want to see. They just want to see that you can make those difficult decisions yeah. when you need to, and that you do know where, obviously you need to know you're working within the boundaries of the law and the regulations. But it's really down to when I leave you. Are you going to be able to make that difficult decision in your company when something goes wrong? And I think that's again what I try and mentor my GTs with. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think it's uh, from what you just said is is the importance of understanding the the value of of failing uh, the first time, and then and then being able to have that second plan in place and ready to react. Is is there any any particular strategies that you would say, say as an example, more mock Mock fibers uh just to practice being in that
1: situation so i think yeah with the mocks ask the question go through the questions not just the ones that you know the answers to but those ones that you don't want to get those questions that you don't feel as confident with so if you work in oral solid dose maybe not have quite so many questions on that look at okay tell me about biologics tell me about sterols do some scenarios in those it's the same as if I'm pre- preparing somebody for an inspection. What are those questions you don't want to be asked? What are those ones that you know, you're know you really nervous about? And just practice them. Yeah. And I think also, you know, the, the same as before, have that support network in place. One of the biggest things from doing the QP training, whoever you do it with, is building up that network of people both inside your company and outside your company. So I still, you know, run things past people I met on my QP course saying, well, what do you think of this? Have you come across this before? And it just gives you a sounding board that you're not working with directly. So you can have a confidential conversation with them around things as well. And I think that's one of the most important bits is build up that network on your QP training as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, QPs give that advice and it's it's not that it, it, it's it's understanding that you're not alone in this and utilizing that network and especially your trainees around you
1: because they're all going for the same experience at the same time yeah that, and that's a really important point as well even if you feel alone so at btg that was quite a small company and there was sometimes i was the only qp on site and you'd be there and you know i'd pass my viva at that point and people thought right you now know everything you've got your ticket you must yeah. know all the answers to all the questions i'm ever going to have and you really don't And again, I was, although I'd passed, I was now terrified for a different reason. I had that responsibility on the site of certifying the batches, but also of, right, making those decisions. And it's important that even when you think you're alone, and you might be the only QP on site that you're not, there are other people around. They might not be QPs, but they can still give you really good advice, and you should never try and do everything on your own. I think you'll you'll make some dangerous decisions if you do. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice.
0: Yeah, no, f- thank you for sharing your experience, Phil. It's, it's, it's so valuable, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be very beneficial to the individuals who are going through this process right now, and it, it shows a value in hard work as well. Yeah,
1: no problem at all. No, thanks, Dal.
0: Excellent. And uh, moving forward a, a number of years, so as you mentioned in your introduction, you, you work for the MHRA, you now uh, have your own consultancy, uh, both stressful roles, yeah. and I'm sure you've had some challenging days uh, along the yeah. way. And I think uh, welfare is very important to, uh, well, everyone nowadays. So yep. have there been any specific strategies or any practices that you follow to manage your stress in your day-to-day job to stay motivated?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's been a number of difficult times in my career. Having people to talk to, though, make those times a lot easier to deal with. Helps them put it into perspective as well. Often the reason that things seem difficult Is just the pressure we put on ourselves. Imagine in the worst, oh, you know, I've got an inspection coming up. What happens if we fail that inspection? And it's just that pressure that pushes down on you and makes the situation really bad. So, particularly as an inspector and then now as a consultant, I've seen companies that are really struggling. I'm working with companies now that are really struggling. But I've also seen and helped those companies turn it around. There aren't many problems that can't actually be solved. So I think, you know, one of the key parts of that is staying calm, just not letting it get on top of you, not letting it make you ill. I've seen that with people as well. The other thing as well, and then again, really hard, particularly when you're self-employed, is to make sure you have some time off work. Um, there are times when it can be absolutely relentless. And when I first started on my own, I was scared to say no to anything. So jobs were coming in, and I think the first probably eight to ten weeks, I worked seven days a week full stop, didn't take any time off whatsoever. And it is relentless. And I'd say, you know, you've got to make sure that you get some time off, getting some downtime. Even if it's only an hour or two, just make sure you get some time off, just to let your brain rest and do something other than work. Particularly if you're working in, you know, things like IAG cases or high pressure cases like that, where you really need to be focused. And then I think finally linked to that, splitting work and home. So a lot of us now work from home. And this has a lot of benefits, but it can also be a challenge. My mobile's just there. My laptop's just there. It's very easy to get tied up, particularly when we're self-employed. But I do make a point of stopping at a set time each day and leaving things in the office upstairs. So leaving my phone up there, it can wait a few hours. That's my key bits, just you know, having those boundaries and making sure you've got people you can talk to and also just switching off from it at some points
0: yeah yeah i think i think that's a challenge for everyone isn't it because we're so connected to our phones laptops microsoft teams whatever it may be that is very hard to separate our lives when you're working from home like, like we are right now yeah
1: that's from it from- i think that you know it's got great benefits i love working from home and i've done it whilst being an inspector that was the first time i did it through to now and i would miss not working from home i think going back to having you know a real job in an office I'd probably find quite hard now, but it has different challenges. That commute that I used to have driving to the office, when you could switch off and think about things in the car, you don't get that at home. You you finish work, you're immediately into the next thing, or you're immediately into you know doing homework or doing home things, so you don't have that downtime. So make sure that you have some time to switch off if you're working from home. Particularly. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks.
0: Thanks for sharing that. And fr- from your experience as, as an inspector, you, you mentioned that you've you've obviously been inspecting organisations who are under IAG. Is, is the same advice to them? I mean, use the people around them within the company, uh, the communication
1: part, not sort of, I suppose, burying your head in the sand. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been, you know, I've received a critical observation within industry and then I gave out a number of critical observations when I was an inspector. And I think the companies that can turn it around well, one, they don't fight the situation. Um, So don't think, oh, you know, the inspector's wrong, why is he doing this? And then try and fight it. I've seen that from a number of companies, it doesn't tend to go well. Um, It either drags the situation out incredibly slowly um, or just doesn't work very well, full stop. If you can work with the situation, don't bury your head in the sand like you said, Look at, right, what do we actually need to do Um, and work around the problem. Speak to the other people in your organisation or wider than your organisation. Speak to the inspectors as well. They don't want you to do badly. They want you to have a successful inspection. It makes their life a lot easier as well. So it's in their interest for you to turn things around as well. And if you speak to them, say, right, okay, this is what we propose to do. This is how we're going to manage it in the interim. Does this look okay? They'll give you an answer. They're not there just as, you know, trying to beat you as a lot of people think. And I'd encourage more companies to speak to their inspector and work with things through that way as well, rather than, you know, I know some companies don't like speaking to the agency. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Yeah, I think it's it's something that I've seen in, in my own experience as well, uh, that the companies who do use the inspectors as a support mechanism communicate and ensure that, yeah, the the, the the they are working together uh, to get yeah. the better outcome, and that's that's essentially everyone's goal. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant, Phil. Thanks for sharing that. Um my final question is: uh, What is the favorite part of
1: your job? Okay, so since becoming a consultant, my favorite part is the training and the mentoring side. Okay, I love doing that. I love doing the training. I, I'm privileged enough to have some companies that keep asking me back to do in-house training i also do the public steriles course with darren jones for nsf and i love that i love helping the individuals with their knowledge their confidence and also also you know having been on the other side it's easy to relate to that and i think we need more training in the industry i think if i'm honest generally i think over the last few years i've noticed there is in some areas a lack of knowledge but I also love helping companies that need help. Um, at the moment, I'm helping a few companies that have had difficult inspections. And as an inspector, you're not really allowed to help them. You're not allowed to say, right, just do this. And it might be quite simple, but you're not allowed to. And I used to find that quite frustrating. But now being able you know, to sit with them, solve the problems, get them to understand, right, this is how, where you need to get to, really rewarding. And so, helping them find that solution, which is what we were doing last week at the site, rather than just saying "yeah, just do this, just do this," getting them to understand, "well, this is the situation, this is what you need to do to get to that." I really enjoy doing that, and I find that really rewarding. So that's that's my favorite part of the all.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now, nowadays, you enjoy immersing yourself into the situation that a client may
1: be in. That's it. Sometimes too much. Sometimes yeah. I sometimes dream about some of the sites I've been to. Yeah. Um, just think, you know, because. I really take a pride in what I do and always have. And so making sure that they get one value for money, they're paying me to come and help them, Yeah. making sure that, but also that they do have a successful outcome at the end of it yeah. is really important to me. So yeah, I absolutely get immersed in, in the companies I'm helping.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Phil. Yeah. Now you can certainly see your passion uh, for your for your job and your role and your, your previous jobs as well. So thank you for sharing all of your words of wisdom, Phil. It's, it's been an absolute Thanks. pleasure. And uh, I think a lot of the trainee QPs listening to this will really find it valuable of, of what, you've, what you've discussed and shared your own experience of uh, the Viva process, which Thanks, say, really everyone has to go through. Thank you very much. Excellent. Yeah. No, so thank you, Phil, for being a guest. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm, I'm sure more of our listeners may reach out to you uh, for you to be their mentor is, is the best way to contact you via LinkedIn
1: yeah that's the, that's a good way to do it so if people want to speak to me about anything about you know qp prep or other consultancy work yeah, just le- reach out to me on linkedin and i'll get back to you excellent all right brilliant phil yeah well thank you so much and you enjoy the rest of your day thanks dale and you speak to you soon See you soon. bye
0: a huge thank you to our special guest and to our listeners for tuning into the qp diaries podcast we hope you enjoyed the show As the founder of Assured Bio, we created the podcast to support our wider quality assurance community, which aligns to our dedicated offering as a recruitment agency, providing services to the pharmaceutical and biotech industry across the UK. We have over 15 years' experience in the industry, exclusively focused on recruiting senior quality assurance leaders and QPs. If you want to learn more about Assured Bio's recruitment services, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Thank you.